Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of the Chasing Trails podcast. My name is Brandon Thompson. I'm here with Jeff LeBlanc. Jeff, how are you making out, my man? I'm doing good. I'm sitting here in my cold garage with no heat on. So it's uh, you can tell that the weather's changed. There's snow here in Fredericton up at Hadwell. And uh, we still got probably an inch and a half on the ground staying, not melting away. So... Uh, my daughter's all convinced me to leave the trampoline up for one more weekend last weekend when it was nice. And I was a good dad. I said, okay, you got one week left. Next weekend after the birthday party, it's coming down. And now it's full snow. So hopefully it melts off because it's really horrible to put that thing away wet and try to dry it out in the garage. And Anyway, first world problems, yeah. right? At the end of the day, if my biggest right. problem is the trampoline's wet, then I don't have a lot to worry about. But uh, yeah, that's where we're at this week, so... I'm of the strict opinion that trampolines are the cause of so many headaches. None uh, none of the least is multiple bone breaks in children. So every time I get really close, like my kids want one really bad. And I'm just like, no, I don't want to have to kind of deal with all the headaches that come with taking you to the hospital, getting your hands all legs all fixed or whatever. And every time I'm really close, and Natalie's the same way, we're really close to, like, saying, oh, okay, we'll get one. Then we hear about another kid who, like, broke their leg or dislocated their elbow or whatever on a trampoline. Have your kids been Have your kids been injured on the trampoline yet, or are they good? Yeah, no, we've had more than one. Um, oh. we've, been in, <laughs> we've been, Heidi's been very close to getting rid of it. And I, I mean, I don't care. Like we can get rid of it. Wouldn't bother me, but the kids really love it. We have a lot of rules now about the trampoline. Yeah. Uh, one of them is that dad's not allowed on it because every time someone got hurt, <laughs> I'm going to be honest, it's because I was on there with them. And, uh, this is some, <sighs> we're going way off topic here, but this is a good story. People will probably yeah. appreciate it. This is not such a proud dad moment, but at the end of the day, we all have our moments. And uh, I was on there with the kids, and we were playing. We weren't we weren't being rough or anything, but sure enough, the trampoline pad was coming up as my at the time youngest daughter was coming down, and she hit hyperextended her leg, and she was like in a lot of pain, and uh, and I didn't think it was anything too bad, right? Like typical dad, like you're fine, walk it off. Put some dirt in it, whatever, right? Anyway, so she kind of she kind of played a little bit and tried to be tough and whatever. And a couple minutes later, like I could see her kind of like sitting there, like after the adrenaline had gotten out of her body, and you could, she kind of had that like vibration shake. And I was like, "Oh, that's not good. We're just gonna take you inside." And so we took her inside, and she literally couldn't bear any weight on us. And I was like, "Oh, this is not good." So we ended up at emergency. We were there for quite a while, and. Uh, they it was basically shift change and they decided we were getting ready to leave because everyone around us was sick it was during covid all these there was a couple kids puking in the corner harriet and i were sitting there with masks on and i kept asking the guy like how long are we going to be here i'm not angry i understand this is a busy spot but like you know we're all healthy tomorrow we'll go see our family doctor who's really you know will get us in and order us x-rays and send us down here and we won't have to wait in the waiting we won't have to wait in the er we'll be able to just go to x-ray and uh, he's like, no, you're going to be about a half hour and we'll get you in. Anyway, I was just two hours later. I was like, I'm out of here. As I was walking out, they called our name. And he like came out nice. in the parking lot and got us. And so went back in. Anyway, they x-rayed like nine people in like a few seconds, just really quickly. And the doctor came and 
the place was so full, she just talked to us all in the hallway. And she just, like, didn't matter who was listening or who was there. She would just talk to each patient right there in the hallway and dismissed everyone who didn't have anything broken. And then she said, you're staying here. And uh, so Harriet, Harriet had a broken leg or, like, a, a I don't know what they call it, a bucket, buckle fracture. Yeah. And uh, and to say the least, I don't believe the doctor had any kids. Um, but she was uh, not happy with me. She gave me a lecture. <laughs> About trampoline safety, and how oh, we shouldn't have okay. trampolines, yeah. and there had better only been one person on the trampoline at one time, and that there had better not be a very large daddy jumping on the trampoline with his kids. And I just looked at her, and I didn't have the heart to admit it. I was just, I just was like, absolutely not. I, t- I would never, no, no, that didn't <laughs> happen. And she just, I think she could tell, obviously. <laughs> anyway, so they didn't cast her up, though. They just said this was the re- this was the crazy part. Um, they're like, we're too busy to put a cast on it. So take her home. Don't let her put any weight on her foot for two weeks or her leg for two weeks. Carry her around the house and like whatever. And we were like, you clearly never had a five-year-old. Like she can't just sit in a chair for two weeks and do nothing. Like, what do you mean? Like she can't even, the doctor literally said like, you can't even let her walk to the bathroom. Nothing. You have to carry her everywhere. We're like, this is the most ridiculous thing ever. Anyway, we did that for basically a week. Um, they had her into the fracture clinic a week later. And, uh, you know, the doctor looked at the two the two uh, x-rays side by side, and it had it had cleared itself up. He was like, yeah, you know, we she needs to take it easy, but she can bear weight on it now and just kind of give her give her an easier uh, uh, don't don't. Don't let her do anything too crazy. And so anyway, that was almost the end of the trampoline because when you're, yeah, when you're home with four other kids or three other kids at the time and you got a kid that's not able to walk anywhere in the middle of summer and uh, your husband leaves every day to go to work and that becomes your responsibility. Like honey was just about done with that trampoline. So no one's gotten hurt since dad's not allowed on it anymore, actually. So imagine that. Go figure. Go, Go figure. figure. Yeah. yeah. It just so happens a man that's 10 times the size of a child should not be on a trampoline with them. Anyway. Well, I think the uh, not believing that your kid has broken a bone is like a rite of passage for fatherhood. Like Felicity, uh, my middle daughter, had the same kind of issue, except she slipped on the ice outside and broke her wrist. And uh, And I didn't believe that she had broken her wrist. And I was like, you know, I think it's okay. And she... You know, but it was the same thing as, as you, like as time went on, like it got way more tender. And, and so we, we took her to the hospital and there was like accident after accident after accident. And we were just waiting and ambulances were just like piling up outside of the emergency room. We're like, man, we're never going to get here. It's close to like one o'clock in the morning. We're like, we're just going home. Uh, if it's broken, we'll come back. Um and so I was like, I, I still wasn't convinced it was broken at that time. So you can just imagine I was getting more and more frustrated waiting at the ER. And then so finally, uh, something happened and, and our my sister-in-law took her to the hospital and they called me and the, they sent me a text on the on my phone. They're like, blue cast on her wrist. They're like, oh, guess who broke their wrist? And I was like, oh, I felt so bad. But here's the kicker to this. The exact same thing happened to me when I was a kid. And I tease my mom so bad about it now. Like she was like, I didn't, the, the, she made me like arm wrestle her to show if I could like move my wrist or not and stuff like that. And so I'm always bringing that, I'm always bringing that up with my, 
with my mom. And so here I am now, just a generation removed, still doing the same kind of thing. So yeah, just goes to show, like, you got to trust it when you think something's broken. It probably is. And you'd think you'd learn your lesson because prior to right? that, we had we had an arm break and we didn't we left it for two days, and then I came <laughs> home from work, and Hadi was like, "Yeah, you know, she's really been really babying that arm." And so, as a dummy, you know how you know they broke their wrist or their arm is you reach over and squeeze it, and uh, right, <laughs> and that didn't go well either. No, uh, luckily imagine. at the time, I think, I think it was Harriet too, actually. She must have weak bones. Anyway, um, she, uh, had a buckle fracture in her arm, whichever one it was. And, uh, she's too young to have remembered that I like reached over and squeezed her arm and caused her a significant amount of pain. I was like, Oh, actually, yeah, I think we should take her in for that. <laughs> Cause clearly something's wrong. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah anyway, that was probably so. better off that she didn't remember that. That was like, uh, a gift yeah. for you like you yeah have for to sure worry about it. so she won't give me a hard yeah. time with that one but there is still a joke now about me breaking harriet on the trampoline so i get it i'm right there with you so uh i wanted to yeah, tell you a little topic. bit back on topic that's right back on topic <laughs> so i wanted to tell you a little bit about my excursion to nashville so i went to nashville for a conference and one of the things that i noticed while i was there was the difference in restaurant menus um and so we're used to menus where you have usually like main right and then you have like some vegetables usually like carrots or like mixed vegetables or whatever and then some potatoes or french fries or whatever right? that's kind of like your standard go somewhere there's usually some sort of vegetable option well in nashville obviously first thing it has amazing barbecue like just amazing barbecue so there's lots of those smoke smoke houses and barbecue joints and all that kind of stuff and fried chicken. So these, this is what Nashville is known for. So you can imagine what most of my meals consisted of. So there was lots of meat consumed for sure. Um, but whenever I went to go order something like, like a side or whatever, there was no vegetables. Like there was just nothing like you could like, so, so I basically ate fried, fried chicken or, uh, brisket or pulled pork and either macaroni and cheese, cornbread or French fries. Like the closest, the closest I got was coleslaw. Like I had coleslaw one time and I don't like coleslaw, but I ate it once because I was feeling so guilty about not eating any like vegetables. So I, so I ate some coleslaw just to kind of get some like fiber and greens. Like it was just, soaked in mayonnaise obviously so it didn't really matter but but i was like uh i was listening to a, a comedian talk about the difference between american food and canadian food when i got back and uh he said the difference between american food and canadian food is like american food is actively trying to kill you and i was like that is absolutely correct i was like that is so true like i could just feel my my arteries hardening i was like as I spent time, more time there. Uh, but it was just so good. It was so delicious. So I had like, I'm carrying a few extra pounds into the race after uh, after my trip there. So whew, I'm not feeling so good about the race, but it's going to be, uh, it was worth it though, man. It was so good. It was such so you went, you went from like uh, Nashville, barbecue, and then you came home to Halloween. 
So yeah, how's that transition right. going? Oh man, so like I don't know about your house, but in Halloween I personally I love Halloween. It's like one of my favorite favorite days. But I get like all the candy they don't like. And the truth the the hard part is I don't I don't not like very many candies. Like that's my problem. Like so basically my dresser is just covered in like every yellow chocolate bar that there is. So like you know, coffee crisp. Mr. Big. I was just going to say, what's wrong with the yellow chocolate bars? The Coffee Crisp, the O'Henry, the Mr. Big, the, they're none great chocolate though. bars. Yeah, yeah. none of my kids love the, like those ones. So, like, I have, like, all those, you know, goldies, and uh, they've been uh, piling up pretty quick. But how, how did things go at your house? That's funny. You you love Halloween, and I despise it with everything in me. Like. <laughs> There's only one well, good thing about Halloween, and it's that I get less of a hard time for listening to Christmas music when it's done. Like, you know, a big Christmas nut. We've been listening to Christmas music for probably a week and a half or so. Oh, right at the, you know, supper wrong. table. So wrong. Come on, and we'll set the table. One of the kids inevitably come out to the kitchen and throw the Christmas music on on the on the Google Home or whatever. And there's a Christmas uh, mix on there. And, uh, and, you know, not every night, but a lot of nights. And so I take a little heat uh, from people at work and stuff for playing Christmas music too early. But, um, but yeah, Halloween, even when I was a kid, I hated Halloween. I think it was because I just wasn't creative enough to think of a good costume. And we didn't have like a budget to go to Halloween World or Spirit whatever store as a family when I was a kid. So it was like, I think every year I was an old man and I just, you know put an old hat on and whatever. And like, by the time I got to middle school, like grade seven, maybe grade six was like the last time I really went trick or treating. I wouldn't get dressed up and I would always go and do harvest for the hungry, which we went around and collected food, food uh, for the food kitchen, because that gave me the excuse of not having to participate in Halloween but also they would reward you for doing your good deed with candy. So you still got to you still got to get the candy, but you didn't have to do any of the Halloween stuff and you were doing a nice thing for people. So it made me uh that was the only way I got through Halloween as a kid even. And uh so yeah, like Halloween's not my favorite night. Of course, I hate all holidays except for like Thanksgiving and Christmas. Like Valentine's Day, St. Patrick's Day, Candid Day, Halloween, whatever, you name it, I could care less. I, I just commercialized and dumb. I sound like a horrible person right now, don't I? Just an old grumpy old man. man. An old yeah. man. Yeah, an old grumpy man. Anyway, I'm but, an old uh, grumpy man at heart. But yeah, like even driving over to my parents' place, the kids were like, Daddy, why are you so grumpy? And I'm like, oh, I just don't want – I'm trying really hard not to be kids, but I'm stuck in traffic, and we barely had – supper because we have to leave to go stupid trick-or-treating and everyone was still getting their costumes on when I got home from work and it was chaos and we were trying to make supper and go to my parents' house and the kids were all going to be up late. Listen to me. This is horrible. Anyway, I I buried it like a good father. I'm letting it all out right now. This is my outlet, but I buried it deep in my soul. I went for a walk with them. They trick-or-treated. By the end of the walk, I felt Okay, I was like, okay, this was a good, this was a good night. The kids obviously had a great time. It wasn't that painful, but I had it in my head like this was just gonna be the worst t- two hours of my life. And uh, anyway, so it wasn't too bad. It's good. The lead up to Halloween has got to be like the most thick couple of hours that there is. 
Uh, and we're not even the ones responsible for getting the costumes ready. So you can imagine what our wives go through. Like right. it is just sure. bananas trying to get yeah. that stuff done. Uh, yeah, Holly was but, stressed uh, out two weeks before Halloween. I was like, what is what is going on? But yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Although I feel like that's partly that's our doing because we have such a big family. Like I feel like our friend Mike, who has one daughter, I I don't imagine it's a stressful event for him and Beth. But I could be wrong. So. I think you're right. I think we yeah. kind of bring some of that on ourselves. But to our to our defense, though, you can also just pass down costumes. Like yeah. that's one of the things. Like like we buy one costume and it fit like five kids. Like I still yeah. remember we had like this bumblebee outfit that every single kid wore at some point in time. Yeah. Um, but it is yeah. But it, it does make me wonder though. Like when you were a kid, what was your favorite Halloween candy? Like what was the go to if you got it? You were like yes. Yeah. So this will. People will be like, you're an old man, Jeff, and you're weird. Um, So when I was a kid, my favorite Halloween candy was those little molasses kisses. They were like the best. I love them. And so I think part of the reason I hate Halloween now is because they don't give them out anymore. Although I found one tonight in one of my kids' bags when they weren't looking, and I was so happy. I ate it just before I came on the podcast, and it was so good. It was as good as I ever remembered it. Um, and the only two people I've ever known, I think, that liked them was me and my grampy. Maybe my mom likes them too. Anyway, but when I was a kid, it was a great deal because my sisters didn't like them. I had two sisters, and I could like I could play hardball, and I would trade like one little bag of Skittles for all of their molasses candies. And I was like, oh, yeah, look at this. Look at this pile. And I have a whole bowl of just molasses candies. I'm like, this is beautiful. Um, yeah, so molasses candies and candy corn were always, like, one of my favorite things. And I find, like, they don't they don't have them anymore. People don't like them. My kids didn't even know what candy corn was. And I was like, I need to – I can't believe you don't know what candy corn is. I'm going to go buy some candy corn. Anyway, I didn't. I didn't. But, uh, yeah, so those were my, like – molasses kisses and and uh i feel like yeah they were like the highlight yeah so my dad loves those those furs like molasses kisses and then so does natalie but like if i got those man that was that was a bummer i hated those candies i do like candy corn and i do like those candy pumpkins which are basically the same candy just shaped differently um and uh but for me when i was trick-or-treating for me the the best ones were the the baggies like if you got a baggie like with the orange on the front and like the black ghost or whatever like the ghost on it you knew that you were going to get like a sucker you're gonna get some rockets a little bit of everything like a little bit of chocolate and that's like that's like five houses in one and so like it was just the best to be able to get uh to get those and then and then if you had the can of pop like in our day a can of pop was a rare thing like that was a big deal yeah but now people give out cans of pop all the time now like it's unbelievable yeah but, i mean it depends uh, probably where you where you trick-or-treat to eh? one of the things my kids laughed at chips must have been a good deal this year because they had chips galore like there was bags of chips like bags and bags and bags of chips and at one of the houses they went to it made me laugh um the person was giving out like different candies depending on the age of the kid. So like my two oldest kids got a full chocolate bar and the two little kids got like two little gummies. <laughs> it was like clear that they had figured out that like little kids don't care. They're just like, whoa, trick or treat. It's yeah, awesome to go right. out and be out there. And like the bigger kids were like, you know, whatever. So like, yeah, Amelia and and, uh, and Adelaide were just, you know, 
running from the house like, I got a whole chocolate bar. And then finally, you know, the younger ones were like, I didn't get a whole chocolate bar. And I was like, oh, no, don't worry about it. Let's go to this house. Right? Like, yeah, yeah. But it was just funny how they had like a – I don't know where they drew the line. Like, I wondered where they were like, oh, if it's a big kid or a little kid or whatever. But uh, that was funny. Yeah. So yeah, it was good. You got a can of pop for a full-size chocolate bar. That was a good, yeah. that was a good Halloween. But my so sisters you- would always, like, exploit me, like, with our candy. Like, they'd be like, oh, it was the exact same thing you did. They're like, hey, we'll give you this one little thing for, like, five of these other things. I was dumb enough. I'd always give it up. It was just yeah. stupid. <laughs> Did you uh, did you notice the big shrinkflation of uh, Halloween twenty twenty three? Or I don't even know what you're talking about. What is that? I didn't. Also, well, like there were some news articles on it about how like the candy had gotten smaller or there was less in a bag, and I had read it and I was like, oh, I don't know. Like anyway, Harriet, she knows that I like peanut peanut M and M's, and so she was, you know, this was like. She never really cared about Halloween. She was always scared before. So this was like her first year where she actually like enjoyed it. She ran from house to house. Like I had a hard time keeping up with her. And she was having so much fun. And so and then we always just let them have at their candy on Halloween night. We're like, you know what? If you could eat if, if you throw up, whatever, we'll figure it out. But like you could eat as much as you can in between here and home and at Nana and Grandpa's. When we get home, it goes away for the night. So eat whatever you want. Anyway, she crawls up in my lap and she's like, Daddy, I got a treat for you. And she's all being secretive about it. <laughs> Breaks out these peanut M&Ms. And I'm like, ooh, I like those. She's like, I know you do. We're going to share them. Let's share them. I'm like, okay, we'll share them. So she rips it open. She pours it into my head and there were three peanut M&Ms in it. Oh, man, three. wow. And I was wow. like, you got to be kidding me. Like there used to be like a half handful of these in the same size bag, but there was only three M&Ms in it. Anyway, so I gave her two, and I had one, and whatever. She was off and playing. And then we, like, Dad was like, that's crazy. So we started searching through everyone's bag to, like, find the peanut M&Ms, and you could count them inside the, like, paper bags or whatever. And there was three in each one. Like, it was, like, that was all you got. You got three M&Ms in that little candy bag. So, anyway, it seems like uh, a real thing. Yeah, I did notice the chocolate bars were a little bit smaller. Like, so my kids got a few of the Snickers bars or whatever, and they were like, tiny and the mars bars too were also tiny um but the coffee crisps and all the Kit Kat bars they seem to be like the standard size that you get all the time but like some of the other ones were were really small but yep, yeah I agree. times are tough man times are tough these days yeah it's a hard... halloween 2023 the the it's scam right. of chocolate bars and a kid i can tell you that that's right uh <laughs> said no parent ever like right? it's uh, <laughs> They're so disadvantaged. Yeah, they're living their best lives while we chauffeur them around to all their different activities. I'm still <laughs> not that I'm bitter. Not that I'm bitter. You don't anyway, sound okay. It. Let's let's move on. Let's move on. Um, so one of the things that that you and I both share in common is this uh, kind of infatuation with belt buckles. And one of the one of the really cool things is, about trail running is that you know after a certain distance you get belt buckles instead of medallions as like these awards and uh i i was really uh happy to see that one of the races that we're going to be participating in in 2024 a day in wentworth in nova scotia in the wentworth valley is has now just bumped up to a hundred mile race like a 32 hour 100 mile race which seems absurd to me but that's that's what it is um to be able to run that distance you would get a cool uh buckle and so jeff like how are you feeling about this 
this possibility that we could cash in on a buckle. Where are you at on that? I mean, I I think it's a an option. I don't think it's a possibility. Like, <laughs> I think we have to choose our vocabulary a little better. Although, ever since they announced it, I find myself just I can't stop thinking about it because we've always I I started trail running. The first race I ever did is the Bootstrap Boogie, and so I had never ever dreamt of running on the trails until a year ago coming up this weekend. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes, but you know, as my first ever experience trail running, I, d- I didn't even practice on the trails before I went and did it. Like that was literally my first trail run. And, uh, and so, and then I got into watching these videos on YouTube and learning about the culture and like these super crazy long distances. And I always thought it stopped at 50 K. Like I was like, Oh yeah, they just do a marathon and uh, on the trails and they call it an ultra. Cause it's, you know, eight kilometers longer. And then I started digging into it and I realized you could get these super cool, like the first one I saw online, obviously was the Western States, the Eastern States like buckle. Um, and then the Leadville 100. And I was like, that would be so cool. Like how many people in the world have one of those buckles? Like not very many people. And so, uh, so yeah, I feel like I've been kind of infatuating with it. And then ever since I got that email, like even when I was out raking the lawn last weekend, I was listening to a podcast and the guy was basically like, well, if you, if you want to run a hundred miles, it's not like it's rocket science. You just sign up and you go do it. Like that's what people should do. They should just sign up and go do it. And like when we talked to Tim, uh, about it that's what he says well just sign up and go do it alex quinn that's what he told me too just just sign up and go do it jeff like what are you waiting for why haven't you signed up for a hundred miler yet and so like all these people keep saying these crazy things and so i'm starting to think like maybe i should just sign up and go do it um but i just don't think that that's even in the realm of possibilities so anyway it's what it is we haven't convinced ourselves yet we'll get there i think it's i think it's within the realm of possibility. I just think we'll need to uh, mentally kind of get over some hurdles first. Maybe at least I will. I can't speak for you, but uh, I think there physically some... I have to get over some hurdles because yes, there are also some physical hurdles. I was going to say I was going yeah. to add there are, there yeah. are definitely some physical hurdles. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, it's great that people who are half our weight can say, "Oh, you just sign up and go do it," right? right. So <laughs> yeah, okay. Like show me like a Clydesdale who's done that, and let's talk about that right. after maybe. It hurts me. It hurts me a little because I feel like, you know, two years ago, you know, be, be, I lost a bunch of weight and I put a little bit on. And if I hadn't have gone backwards and and put on that thirty pounds that I now need to lose, like maybe I would have been there in June of twenty twenty four. But you know, it is what it is. COVID happened, and so did the chocolate bars and the beer. So you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not a good combo. Neither yeah. is chicken fried chicken in Nashville. That's a bad yeah. combo for it. But uh, anyway, so I, I'm pumped to see that they're offering that. Like the, the trail racing stuff coming out of Nova Scotia has just been top notch. And yeah. uh, they're they're getting all sorts of press. And so I think that's really cool to be able to see them growing that the sport over in that area. So we'll have some Nova Absolutely. Scotians, I think, uh, at our race coming up this weekend, which is the Bootstrap Boogie. Um, yeah. And so like this is a meaningful race for both you and I because this is both of our – like our first races ever. Um, and so mine was a year before yours, but we both kind of cut our teeth on the race. And it's been such a fun, fun race to be a part of. It goes really quick. Um, and by the end of it, you're still like, holy, that was that was still pretty hard. 
uh, but you did, uh, but you were able to get through it. So we wanted to be able to uh, share with our listeners just kind of a little bit of a insight into uh, the Bootstrap Boogie. So we asked Mark, uh, Mark McCoggin, who's one of the, you know, he is the trail race organizer for it, and he is the director for this race. Uh, and he's also a part of our, our sponsor, uh, you know, St. John Trail Running, who sponsors our podcast. Um, we invited him to come on and share a little bit about the race. And so we've kind of just kind of thrown in at the end, like a bonus content here for you, uh, a chance to hear Mark talk about the race and how it's, how it's kind of grown, but also to throw in some tips on how to run the race, uh, which will be very valuable if you're listening to this on when the podcast comes out, which is the weekend of the bootstrap boogie. So we want to invite you to listen in and uh, we wanted to throw it at the end. So you wouldn't fast forward through all of our uh, wonderful banter about (laughs) breaking kids bones and Halloween candy uh, to be able to, uh, to hear what Mark has to say. Uh, And so we are going to kind of finish off our episode uh, with Mark. And so in the meantime, uh, here's Mark uh, talking about the bootstrap boogie and we'll sign off and say, keep on chasing the trails and hopefully we'll see you at the race at the Irving nature park on Saturday. We are in the Chasing Trail studios with Mark, and we are so glad to have him on again. Uh, just a, a great chance to chat and talk a little bit about the Bootstrap Boogie. So, Mark, thanks so much for taking some time to be with us. I know it's a busy time for you right now. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. You guys promised it would be short, so I thought I'd jump on and uh, give you a little rundown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we really, uh, we just kind of wanted to spend a few seconds to talk about like one of our our favorite races like the bootstrap boogie and uh we we'd love just to hear you talk a little bit about like how the the race has started and um kind of how it's it's growing over the years this is the third year now uh i think if i'm right um just of of how it's been kind of maturing and and you because you've been there from the ground floor like you're the one who kind of this is your brainchild right and so fill fill us in on on kind of how it's been growing yeah sure so it's actually kind of interesting how it all formed. Um, I think I had mentioned on the previous pod with you guys that, you know, race directing was never in my uh, in my wheelhouse. I, I always wanted to run these races. I never wanted to actually organize. Um, and then just kind of out of the blue, um, I really like that area. Like, I really like the nature park. I really like um, Sheldon Point. It's all coastal. It's absolutely beautiful. It's probably the you know, the best thing we have in St. John. And so I, um, I was actually skiing. Um, I was doing some backcountry skiing at Poli. So just basically climbing up the hill and skiing down. And one of the guys, uh, when you're at the bottom of the hill, you have to do a transition. And while you're doing that, it takes, you know, 10, 15 minutes while you're doing that. I was chatting with the guy there and, and, uh, he, I had known that he was, uh, high up at Irving. Uh, so I just kind of briefly said, you know, I, I heard you might be the guy I need to talk to about putting on a race at, uh, the nature park. And and he said, yeah, I'd be that guy. So he passed me along to, uh, the guy underneath him. And then he moved me, I met with him first and then he moved me to the park manager and I've been working with the park managers pretty much ever since. And, 
and also with this uh, Reg Woods uh, guy, Reg Woods, who works for JDI Irving, which is which is pretty funny. I made sure to point that out that his last name. I'm sure he gets it all the time, but yeah. Anyway, so, so yeah, and that's where it was born. So the first year we, we, um, we put out a hundred registrations. Uh, you know, I'd never done a race before in my life. So I thought I'd, I'd have a limit and and see how that goes. Uh, so we put a hundred out and within, uh, 11 hours that sold out the, the hundred. So I thought, okay, well, let's let's add 50 more. I mean, what's 50 more on 100? So we had another 50, and those sold out within two or three days. Uh, so we stopped there. So the first year was a, was 150 registered. Uh, what happened with the first year, it was COVID. So uh, we actually had to move it out a month. Um, so, you know, on top of it being my first race, we had to do a whole COVID operational plan and, and get that approved and all that. So that was all done. And then we were asked, uh, I think it was a week before the event to move it. Uh, so we moved it out a month. Uh, it ended up being in December. And I don't remember if you, you ran that, Brandon. Yeah, uh, it was minus 14, I think, with the wind chill. Nice and uh, brisk along the coast there. Just, just brutal. Um, but it also created some amazing views. Uh like the water was, uh, you know, it's it's some of the highest waters that they had that year. Uh, so the beach disappeared, the the <laughs> boardwalk section disappeared. You know, everything was kind of, you know, as much as things were kind of going wrong, it turned out to be a really fun day, and every everybody seemed to have a really good time. So after that one, we we kind of took what went well and what didn't uh, go well, and we moved into the next year. Uh, and we started with 230. Um, we cut off regular registrations at, at 200, but we had 30 deferrals from the year before because I did give that option just because of the move, like the, the month move out and people couldn't make it. So so we had 230 in the race and 203 showed up. Um, and so, you know, 50 more than we had. Same same deal. It, it Turned out a great day, a lot of fun. We had some people come down from Halifax. Some ladies, uh, top three of the ladies were all from Halifax. Absolutely killed it. Um, and then, uh, and then, so we're moving into this year, and um, we decided we had 240 timing chips. So that's where we stopped the registration. So we're at 240, and honestly, I think we could we could uh we could have gone to 300 this year i think we have enough interest uh that that people want to want it so i think we might uh we might look at that next year and and i mean if even just adding the distance maybe just the nature park section or something like that you know that might be a a good way to evolve that way but yeah it's grown uh, quite a bit and um yeah i think that's that's where we're at today it was like uh, I remember the first year. It was my first, my first ever trail race, actually, and uh, I remember just being terrified of the distance uh, at the time. And uh, I remember walk trying to run along the beach, and like you're running along the side of the little <laughs> cliff area, right, trying not to get your feet wet. Uh, but it was such a fun race, and I remember it being so cold. And then the second year, it was like crazy warm. Like you could yeah. run in shorts. Uh, so yeah. who knows what this year will be. Uh, it might be a little bit cooler, but maybe we can still pull off the shorts. But uh, <laughs> it's such a fun it's such a fun race. Now, the course, for those of you, like, because there are a lot of new new people running this year, 
Um, The course, and and for listeners who aren't uh, familiar with our region, is in this beautiful, I don't know if you call it like a nature reserve or whatever, but the Irving Nature Park is kind of basically like this, you know, this little island with a peninsula that, that is attached to the mainland. And you're running along the coast of the Bay of, the, of Bay of Fundy the whole time, and it's just it's always on your your left or your right depending on which way you're going. And uh, is would you have any like tips or tricks for running this whole course? Like, because you go through like some crazy gravel uh, hills. There's lots of uh, flat spots as well. But uh, would you uh, you've run it a lot of times? Uh, yeah. You designed the course. Do you have any kind of tips or tricks for people checking it out? Yeah, I'd say uh, don't go too hard at the beginning um, because that last <laughs> that last three k can really bite you. Um, the The beach uh, nobody loves nobody loves beach running. It's it's everybody's no. least favorite uh, time on that route. Which which kind of as a race director makes my heart putter a little bit. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, just you know. Um, uh, somebody said something about running on the beach is basically you, you just you just give way to it like you don't you don't try to push because you, you're pushing mm-hmm. against yourself if you do you just kind of you just kind of go in a flow state and just let it happen uh you know don't push too hard because you got a dirt road section coming up that you can you can push a little more on that what i find with the route is you know you get through that first three four k you're at the nature park and then you start on your nature park lap and, and the nature park's actually pretty forgiving. Beautiful trails in there. They're all manicured very well. Um, this year will be a little wetter than, than normal, uh, just cause it's been wet all year, uh, everywhere. So it's going to have a little more wetness to it. But once you get around that park, you hit the dirt road. And then as soon as you step on that beach section again it's just the everything gets yes. taken out of you and there's mm-hmm. two sand hills i'm sure you guys remember there's one that yep. you get off the beach from and then there's another one that's twice the size just after it and those are soul sucking so just you know be one with it and get through that and then uh once you get to the once you get to the last 800 meters it's flat and it's uh and it's um, field, so it's it's just a beautiful run through there, fast. So leave some uh, leave some energy for that because that's a fun finish. I remember bear crawling up that that sandy hill, and your calves and your quads <laughs> are just screaming by the yeah. time you get to the top. But uh, it makes for makes for a memorable race, that's for sure. It does. Um, yeah, so so coming up this year, uh, it's been expanding and growing. And you've been adding new elements to it every year. Uh, are you adding anything new this year? Yeah, so there's a few new things. Uh, one quickly is we do have a uh, we got some special permission to get a a coffee truck and a uh, food. I call it a food truck, but it's really a food stand. Uh, yummy, yummy hot dogs. I think I told you guys, and you were pretty happy about that. Um, but. Uh, we're doing that, um, and that'll be right at the start finish. Uh, so right where everybody's hanging out. Um, the other thing that's a little new is at the start finish, we're going to try to start people a little differently. So there's a there's a big bottleneck that goes into the trail, and I think this will help a bit. I don't think it's going to take it away totally, but it, it's basically going to be your as runners, you're going to be running in a C or a U, uh, upside down U um to go back through the start um that you did last year 
So it just, it goes towards the direction that you're going to be running, the nature park direction, cuts across the field, and then back through away from the nature park. And then you'll go down uh, around the corner there. Um, And then there is a bottleneck, but uh, one thing people should know is when you get through that bottleneck, it is kind of double track and there's a lot of passing to be done there uh, for a little while. So if if you do get bottlenecked in there, know that you can can get up uh, from there. Um, the other thing is at the nature park. So, uh, in previous years, we would cross the parking lot directly and then head straight up the road into the trail. Um, last year we noticed that it was not very safe, uh, to do that. So when you come down the dirt road this year, uh, as soon as you get to the nature park parking lot, you're going to take a hard left and do like a C around kind of the railing. And the A station is going to be right on the lawn there. And then you'll go straight up the trail. So you won't even go on the road, on that road anymore. Okay. Yep. Uh, and then you'll take a hard left and then you'll do your loop as per usual. When you get finished the nature park loop, you'll come out, you'll cross the road immediately and you climb some stairs. And it's it's kind of like a you've got to climb this year. It's going to be a little more climbing. At, at the end than, than you would be used to, but there's no extra distance. Like, it doesn't add any distance. You're going to cross two pieces of road, small pieces, and we'll have volunteers there to stop traffic. And then you'll go uh, you'll go straight up across and then back down to the aid station. So just a few very, very small changes just to make it a little more safe, um, but not adding any distance or anything like that to the to the race. Maybe at the start, you might you might run another couple hundred feet but you know it won't even register on your watch (laughs) and it'll be i always love the end when uh everyone kind of hangs out and there's lots of food we'll be having hot dogs this year yeah and uh be able to to give out some great prizes and so people can expect that again this year mark like we've got some some great giveaways and that sort of thing yeah so we're doing something a little differently uh we're getting away from like the door prizes um it, it just I found it was really hard with a lot of people leaving and stuff uh and we really want to try to keep people around at least for the last finisher to come in i I think that's really important to see the last person come in um you know for them it's it's exciting for them to have a lot of people around. I've been the last finisher before I know what it's like it's it's awesome so I do. So I think to try to kind of do that is we're doing some secret prizes this year. So we've got about 12 to 14 secret prizes. Uh, You guys have some stuff in there Uh, and people are going to win them throughout their results in the race or, you know, something to do with the company that's providing uh, just some sort of unique ways to give prizes uh, so I think we'll do that. We'll do that right at the end. Uh, when the last furniture comes across, we'll, we'll, we'll do those prizes. Um, so that's a little different than any other year. The staples this year will be, um, we have early check-in. So early check-in from 1230 to one on the Friday, which I guess this is coming out tomorrow. So today <laughs> to Sorry. confuse everybody. Uh, yeah. and then we have check-in again from 430 to 530 on the Friday. Um, and then in the morning, eight to nine thirty. Um, some key pieces while I'm on here, and I can kind of uh, use this platform is uh, parking. It, it's really key that people do not park on the road. Um, they really, for safety reasons, they they just really ask that we try to 
try to handle that. So we're going to have a little more uh, volunteer support there, some some pylons, but we do have a designated parking area, which is 200 or 300, 400 meters past the entrance uh, where there's tons of parking. People can park there and then walk down the road. Um, that's that's one of the key, key things that, that they want to mention for, for the parking itself. Um, we did yeah. that last year and it went, and it went fine. Like it was so yeah. good, like tons of space. It wasn't that far to walk. Kind of gave you a little warm up. actually. It was kind of good. Right. And people at St. John don't, don't understand that you can't park on the road. Cause we all do it like, you know, yeah, right. any other event, but when you've got 240 people descending on the, on one yeah. area, you should try to try to get in the parking lot. So no, that'd be, that'd be great. So we're we're super pumped for it. Jeff and I will both be running our little hearts out. Uh, hopefully, we're not the last finishers, but there's a good chance that we might be, or at least yeah. I might be. Jeff's a little faster than me, but if not, we'll look forward to uh, to being able to uh, celebrate together. So, Mark, we just appreciate all the work you're putting into getting this thing going and and how it's growing. It's really cool to see it growing as big as it is, and um, so we're pumped to to be able to race uh, on the weekend. So we don't want to keep too much of your time, but thanks so much, man, for, for being with us. I appreciate it, guys. I look forward to uh, seeing you on the weekend. Yeah. Take care. Take care, bud. One, two, three.